Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am Movie Mike on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Distro, and I'm really excited about this week's episode because I am talking to my first ever director. So there's a new movie out now called The Outpost starring Orlando Bloom and Scott Eastwood, and I get to talk to Rod Lurie, who made this movie which is based on a real battle that took place in 2009 in Afghanistan. So we talk about how he made the movie, what it was like directing Orlando Bloom and Scott Eastwood, who was the son of Clint Eastwood. We also talk about some of our favorite war movies and what it was like for him to be on set during such an intense movie. So if you've ever wondered how a movie gets made or what it's like to direct a big Hollywood star, we'll get into all that. So I think you'll enjoy this interview. And then right after it, I'll get into my full honest review of the movie and also talk about my top five favorite war films of the last 10 years. Just a heads up, he does drop a couple F-bombs in this, but I just thought his responses were so genuine and so kind of real that I kept him in there. And I figure if you're going to end up watching this movie after this review... They curse in that thing anyway, so <laughs> there's no real difference. So thanks for checking out this episode this week. I think you really enjoy it. And if you don't mind, if you're over there listening on Apple Podcasts, before you leave, before you click out of this thing, hit that five-star rating, write a quick little review because it helps me beat out all those other movie podcasts in the category. I'm trying to get up there at the very top. So if you would do that, that would mean a lot. Or if you're listening on iHeartRadio or anywhere else, just hit that follow, hit that subscribe button. I know some people have asked how you rate and review it on other platforms. It's only Apple Podcasts you can do it for some reason. So just make sure you're subscribed anywhere else you're listening to because that really helps too. All right, with all that said... Excited to share this episode with you guys, so let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, on the phone now with Rod Lurie, the director of The Outpost. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going very well in beautiful Studio City, California. How are things in Nashville? It's going pretty good here. We got some rain, but um, it might cool down a little bit. 
You know, I'll tell you something. Uh, some of the best filmic experiences of my life were in Nashville because I shot a movie called The Last Castle there. And it was just fantastic. It was one of the best times I ever had. Well, yeah, Nashville is a cool spot. Yep, it certainly is. <laughs> certainly my, uh, my cast of young men really enjoyed that city. So I just watched your movie, and I got to say, it's like not only one of the best movies I've seen this year, but I think one of the best war movies I've ever seen. So just want to say congrats on well, that. Well, thank you very much. I mean, look, it's, you know, making a war film, it's a, it's a tough bit of business, and I'm glad we succeeded in, in, uh, in your mind. You know, I'm, I'm a massive, massive war film fan, and a few years ago I went to see that movie called Dunkirk, that Chris Nolan film. Oh, yeah, it's a great one. And it was, it was just so amazingly creative and, um, and, uh, and energetic and just so full of cinematic life. And it, you know, it really did. It really inspired me. I mean, we don't shoot in that style at all, but it just inspired me to, you know, have high aspirations on making a bar film. Talking about on like Dunkirk and having like that feeling of being in the action. Is that kind of where you drew some of that inspiration for this, like the fight sequences? Well, I mean, the idea inside, in, um, we tried to accomplish it in a much different way than, than Dunkirk did. Dunkirk, I think, was a little bit more objective than our film is. This film is, is very subjective. It's very much with the men on the ground. You know, for the battle sequence, I used a single camera and just followed soldiers throughout the course of the battle. You know, we never shot away. We never cut away. And so we really were intending to, to put um, the audience into a full immersive um, experience in this, you know, in this battle, which was the, probably the most heroic battle of the, um, of the Afghanistan war. How exactly do you do that? Because I know like 1917, they did that where the whole movie was in one shot. So what is that process right. of like, is it all in editing or are you really doing it all in one shot? Well, okay. So, the, you know, you just, you just said something really interesting there because uh, on, on the one hand, you, you just said that the Dunkirk is all, I'm sorry, that uh, 1917, which by the way is a masterpiece, a fantastic movie, one of my favorites, um, is all done in one shot. But in, in fact, the greatness, the cinematic technical achievement of 1917 is that it gave the appearance of being in one shot. I don't know how many cuts I counted as a, as a pro and some that I missed, I'm sure, but you know, there are dozens and dozens of cuts in, in that film. And in our film, the, those lengthy sequences, there's very little what we call stitching, you know, cutting together two, um, two shots seamlessly to make it appear as one. We really had to rehearse and re because we just didn't have the budget to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we actually had to sh shoot these things in, in wonders. And it, it was no easy feat. So you have this movie. It's, you know, very big and cinematic. And I found it a little weird watching it, like, on my laptop now because of what's going on, movie theaters being shut right. down. How does that feel for you, like, having this movie coming out and knowing that people won't get that full cinematic experience? Well, I mean, there, 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 there are variations on that. Like, if, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, it's sort of basically hard to, to see that anybody watches it on a laptop. And one person told me they watched it on the phone, which, like, completely severs my, severs my heart. Because, you know, I, I shot this for the big screen. Yeah. I made it for the big screen. It's, you know, especially the sound work is made for the big screen. Um, but, you know, look, life is what it is right now. And, and, um, and I fully expect that it's going to stay this way pretty much forever. Uh, I think that anytime anybody makes a film that is not a Captain, you know, Marvel film or Star Wars or James Bond, that, you know, they should anticipate that it's primarily going to be seen on people's 
home system. So, you know, all that, all that I'd ask is that, you know, when you do see the film, you know, try to see it in the best experience possible, the biggest screen you got, the best sound, because we sure worked our asses off, yeah. uh, you know, to get to, to, you know, to try and, and accomplish that. You know, like I know that, um, you know, I'm in the Motion Picture Academy. So when uh, Chris is going back to Dunkirk, when, when we got our DVD box for Dunkirk, I um, I opened it up and there was a note from Chris Nolan saying, "Come on, man, <laughs> go see this in the theater," and um, and that's really what I was uh, what I was hoping for. Well, speaking of Christopher Nolan, I saw a story recently that he says he doesn't allow chairs on set because if you're sitting, you're not working. Is there any kind right. of rule like that you have on set? That's uh, th- that's interesting. I do the reverse thing: is that um, I don't allow myself to sit. You know, I, I literally don't have a chair on set. You know, look, look, I, when I, uh, when I was a cadet at West Point, um, there is a rule that the cadets don't sit throughout the game. You stand with the team, you know, while they're on their feet, you're on your feet. You're the 12th man. And so I've, uh, I've done this throughout my entire career. And especially on a movie like this, where I'm asking the actors, I'm asking the crew to be so physically, um, fit and so physically involved in the film. Um, that, you know, as long as they're on their feet, I'm going to be on, on my feet. But I do let the actors sit, especially when, uh, when there is um, so much running and gunning and exhaustion involved in the making of this film. I mean, like, this thing was a, it was a motherfucker, man. It was, <laughs> it was un- unbelievable, you know, what these actors had to go through. So speaking of that, working with the actors, what's it like to direct a guy like Orlando Bloom, such a veteran actor, and you're having to, you know, direct him in a very intense way? Well, you know, here's the thing that I learned after I made my first film, which is that there is no, there's no one system fits all for directing actors. Everybody, everybody is different, and everyone needs to be directed differently. Some actors come with a very specific mindset of how they want to play a role, and others are craving direction, and others want to, you know, want to completely, uh, completely mix it up. You know, uh, with with Orlando, Orlando is a vet. He does, you know, he did spend some time with the father of the guy he's portraying. Um, the guy's portray, portraying is uh, was a guy named Ben Keating, one of certainly a, a war hero, and um, he got to, you know, he got to know him as best as best he could. You know, but he's not alive anymore. But um, but he did look to me, and he looked to the military advisors for how to behave militarily. Although he'd uh, as he's certainly, you know, maybe he did Black Hawk Down, so he has um, some some experience with it. But you're right, he he's he's a vet, and uh, you know, needs a little less direction than most. So, did you have everybody do like specific training for this movie before they got on oh, set? Oh yeah, you go. Oh, yeah, you bet your ass. How, you how intense was those, that? Like, what do they have to do coming into this? Oh man, we put the I put those little fuckers through the ringer. You know, they, um, <laughs> they were, you know, and here's the thing, though. I had some of the actors, I insist on having actual people who had served in the military as actors in the film. Um, and they're professional actors, but, you know, like Adam Driver used to be an actor. I mean, I'm sorry, used to be a Marine. And in this movie, a guy like Jack Kessie used to be a Marine, a guy named, like Kwame Patterson, uh, who plays Captain Broward in the film. He, he was in the Army. And they, you know, we had a few guys like that. But I had a lot of guys that were just these Juilliard sort of guys, guys from, you know, the, you know, trained in British theater. We had some, somebody from Carnegie Mellon. And during basic training, you know, I just threw them into, I threw them in, into this pit with, uh, this, with an Army Ranger and a Navy SEAL who, 
who tore their asses up during, uh, you know, for like a long time. And sometimes at lunch, when I would show up on set, they would come to me and literally be in tears. You know, they just weren't used to this at all. And um, and I gave them all the option of quitting if they wanted. And uh, none of them did. Nobody quit. And uh, they, they, nobody quit. They, they all really appreciate now, um, you know, what I put them through. There's like a, a scene that just kind of got me in an unexpected way. And it's when all the soldiers are calling home and they're on the satellite mm-hmm. phones. And it just felt yeah. like such a human moment that I hadn't experienced in a movie before. Like, what was kind yeah. of the direction on that part? Well, that was something that uh, was not in the original screenplay, and that um, and that we, you know, like I have, I do in a lot of my films, we came up with on the spot, and and I just, you know, I just felt that a, it did create that humanism that you're talking about, but there's something else with a movie like this, Mike, which is really important, is that it's very difficult to keep track of characters, because they're either wearing helmets and their heads are shaved, you know, they're. they're they are made to look uniform, as the, as the word implies. And so I thought by having this scene right before the big battle, when they're all calling home, that gives them each a little bit of individualism that can separate them from, from one another. So I thought that was really important. But I think that the emotional impact that you're feeling comes from the, the score by Larry Goupe. It's, just, it's a perfectly beautiful, evocative um, score. And uh, I think it serves very well for that scene. Yeah, I love that scene. And also speaking about um, the other actors in this, uh, Scott Eastwood, Milo Gibson, when you're directing those yeah. guys, do you ever see like a glimpse of their dad like when you're directing them? Oh, movies? my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> you, you see fucking Eastwood in this movie? It looks, looks just like, like him. Oh, it's incredible. And sometimes he sounds, he sounds like him. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing. You know, you say that to other actors whose parents... Um, you know, or actors, and you say that they, their feelings are really hurt, but Scott is so proud of his bad twins. He's so proud of them and um, would love nothing more than to be compared to him. And sometimes when we're talking about a scene, he'd say, you know, I know how my dad would do this, and this is what he would say. And uh, as if to suggest to me that this is how the scene should should be played. So, you know, I, I, I don't, he's, not, he's definitely not trying to replicate his father, and he very much wants to be his own actor, and he absolutely is, and I think it's easily his best performance. But, yeah, I definitely saw um, uh, some, some, Clint, some Clint there some, sometimes. Um, and, um, and, and also with Milo, it's um, you know, Milo Gibson. You do see some, some of his dad in there. But that just comes from, you know, almost from genetics, from the way he walks, from the way he moves his, his hands. You know, he does have a certain, like Mel does, a certain busyness with his, with his arms and his hands. But, you know, there were several other um, kids and grandkids of superstars in this movie. There's plenty of them. Who else is in there? Like, well, um, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, Richard Attenborough's grandson plays Faulkner. Um, he's the guy who is uh, caught having drugs in the beginning of the film. Okay. And then you've got Scott Alda Coffee playing, um, uh, playing Scusa, and that's Alan Alda's grandson. He also happens to have been, until now, um, my, uh, my dog sitter. And, um, but, but the most amazing one was, was this, Mike. We're in the middle of the filming. I decide that we need to put another real character in the movie. Um, to continue to, you know, humanize these guys. It's the character of Jones. And I, and I put out, I went to Britain, which was close to where we were shooting. 
and put out a massive casting call. And I picked this dude. You know, I didn't even realize what his last name was when I when I hired him, but he was the best guy for the job. He shows up on set, and his name is James Jagger. It's Mick Jagger's son. Wow. Yeah. And and in and in <laughs> so that was really that was the most fun guy to talk to about his dad because you know I'm, I'm used to you know all this movie royalty but you know who's who's more royalty in rock and roll than Mick Jagger? You got all these famous and, um, sons here. Oh, it was great. And so and what you'll see when you get the DVD of the movie and they have these extras, um, and I think you can get some extras if you get this on VOD on like iTunes. I'm not, I'm not sure, but you'll see. Uh, you know, James uh, singing the song that I wrote in the film. It's not in the actual movie, but it is in the extras. I got one final question for you. If there's a young filmmaker out there, what one piece of advice would you give them? I'd say don't even try. Don't even try. (laughs) Don't even try because you know why, dude, I don't need the fucking competition. You know, I've, I've about had it, you know. I, you know, it's hard enough for me to to make it. I don't need these new guys coming in. Just hang it up. Actually, (laughs) well, look, you know, yeah, hang it up. It's, 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 there's no chance. Here's, here's what I would say, Um, and and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It is easy, or much easier than it was when I was starting to make short films. There should never be a moment when you're not making a movie or not in the process of making a movie, not in the process of writing. There should not, never be a moment when you're not filming, you know, and you make, you keep making these short films. You can edit them together much easier than you did before. You can almost do it on an iPhone. Sometimes you can do it on an iPhone and enter them into festivals and just don't stop. You, you cannot stop creating. And, you know, most people who I know are persistent. They don't necessarily succeed, Mike, but they get a shot. They get a shot. Nice. So basically, it's that's just go, important. Or just go start a YouTube and don't even focus on movies. Yes. <laughs> no competition. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't need it, man. <laughs> you know, it's like it's really it's it's tough enough for old geezers like me to get work. The, you know, I don't need the young bucks coming in and showing how creative they are. All right, it's been good talking to you. I love the movie. Everybody can go check it out Thank now. You. Um, yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's it's on it's on VOD and playing in some theaters, and um, you know, and uh, you know, we're damn proud of it. And um, very emotional movie for me, and I'm, I'm really happy to have talked to you about it, Mike. I love it, man. Have a good day. Thanks. Cheers. Oh hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Rod Lurie. I really like just how open and honest he was about the fact that this movie he spent so much time working on is now not being able to see in its full potential because he had no idea when he started filming this movie two years ago that it wasn't going to end up on the big screen. Like, there's no way of knowing that when you're out there filming this movie that anything like this would be happening to where theaters are just basically shut down everywhere. And I kind of liked how he said, you know, (laughs) it sucks. Like, the fact that... People like me ended up watching it on a laptop. People will be watching it sometimes even on their phones now because it's on video on demand. Or, you know, I think he feels a little bit better. The fact that people have, you know, big screens and nice sound systems at home. But when I watched this movie, I was even thinking like, I'm watching this on my laptop, but there's so much like gunfire going off and so much big things on the screen that I felt like I needed to be back in the theater to watch it. So... I didn't know what he was going to say when I asked him that question, but I'm glad he was just straight up and being like, you know what? It does suck, but the fact of the matter is it's going to probably be like this for a while now, maybe forever. So I think even he is kind of thinking that even when things do go back to normal a little bit more, that this video on demand is really going to be more of a thing because he's thinking like, okay, people are always going to end up watching things on their phones or on their laptops, on their tablets, even when they do get shown in theaters more often whenever you know people just rent something they're watching it on a screen that it's not intended for so it's just kind of interesting to think how different that is for somebody who makes the movie and creates this content for people to take in and then we take it in in all different kinds of ways which we tend to lean to things that are more convenient for us and what we feel more comfortable with i like the feeling at home watching a movie on my tv i've Actually, before this whole thing started, right at the very beginning of quarantine, I was like, I'm going to have to invest in a good TV because I love going to the movies mainly for the sound, mainly for the big experience. So I'm like, if I'm going to start watching more things at home, especially all these movies that are going to be coming out, I'm going to at least need a better home system. So I did that. I think a bunch of other people probably did. But the fact of the matter is 
people are going to watch it on their laptops. They're going to watch it up wherever they can easily download it and easily find it. So I think it's kind of interesting to see how he's already thinking a step ahead and the next movie he's going to be making down the line of, okay, like maybe people will watch this on a smaller screen, but I think it works getting something so big and making it as big and cinematic as you possibly can. And then letting people take it, you know, where they're going to watch it. If it gets scaled down a little bit, I think the fact that that big cinematic quality is still there will never go away. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I want to get into now my full review of the movie The Outpost, which I watched before I did the interview with Rod. So actually, the way this all went down is I was initially going to get to talk to Scott Eastwood, which I was pretty excited about because I watched this movie and they were like, hey, yeah, you could talk to Scott Eastwood interview him about the movie and then it turned out that that didn't work out and they're like you can still talk to rod the director of the movie so i was like okay i'll take him that'd be cool too and it ended up being really enjoyable for me and probably really insightful and i thought it was really cool to be able to talk to him just about movies me coming just as a big movie fan and him just having all this other director knowledge so with that said i'm gonna give my straight up full honest opinion of this movie review i had already pretty much set even before i talked to him so before i get into that here's just a little bit of the outpost we need to retake this camp we don't have any air support the manpower our men are trapped up there our ammo depot is 40 yards away there's everything we need to stay in this fight So what the movie is about, it's based on a real story that took place in 2009 back in Afghanistan. The movie is actually based on a book written by Jake Tapper, but the story is 53 U.S. soldiers were stationed at this outpost at the bottom of like these three mountains, and they were there to kind of make this deal with the locals and kind of be assistance to them, helping them out in their community to build a relationship with them, and essentially... What happened was they ended up closing the outpost and they got word that the U.S. soldiers were going to leave and they still hadn't been paid some of the money they'd been promised. And they're thinking, well, if they're going to leave, then we're not going to get paid. So hundreds of Taliban soldiers scheduled this attack and just went in on this outpost where these 53 soldiers essentially had to fight their way out of it. And I'll kind of end it there. That's basically what sets up the entire movie. And I know it's kind of weird to review movies and spoiled movies that are actually based on real stories. But I felt with this one, as much as I've heard and read about the Afghanistan war and even the movies I've seen, this was a story I wasn't familiar with. And even in the book title, it references that it is kind of an untold story. So I felt like it was kind of learning a little bit for me too. So aside from it just being a movie and being kind of entertaining, which is kind of weird to say about such a crazy intense battle and piece of history i also did learn a little bit while being entertained by this movie at the same time so what i liked about this movie is that it is very intense and um kind of talking about what rod said in the interview is that he was right there in it and he made sure that they were kind of prepared for this and that they were trained so much so that it felt real and authentic and watching this movie it feels like you're kind of in there and what i liked about it was it reminded me of 1917 which we referenced in the interview that you felt like you were in the action like the camera movements are like right there with the actors going right up into their faces and then when all the gunfire and shooting is going off it feels like you're essentially a part of the team too moving through all the action and it's not like you're just watching with the over kind of scope of the whole thing. It feels like you're in there. And not only does it feel like you're in there, but the movie is pretty 
intense and just you know violent and you're thinking of it as a movie but it's like this really happened it makes it feel like man war is really hell like it's very kind of eye-opening to what these soldiers have to go through and what they had to go through during this Afghanistan war and still go through today so I think that kind of put it into perspective too and also kind of learning about these soldier stories and to see how young they were it's just really crazy to see and feel I thought Orlando Bloom was a really cool actor that they got for this. And also Scott Eastwood. I haven't seen a whole lot of stuff with him in it, but I was really kind of like, okay, I, I see you, Scott Eastwood. Like it's feels almost like you are watching a younger version of Clint Eastwood, which is maybe why I enjoyed it a little bit more. He's probably a little bit better looking than Clint Eastwood was back in the day. I think so. My girlfriend tends to think so. And I thought he was a pretty good actor. Like I didn't feel at any point in this movie, like it was cheesy in any way or like I was watching people kind of act like sometimes in war movies, I feel they are a little bit over dramatic in the way that they portray the, the people they're playing. But I felt this one was pretty straight on and just kind of raw. Another thing I kind of took into account is that this movie did have a lower budget than some other big high budget war movies. So a movie like 1917, where it's, you know, they have a lot more money to put into it filming and they spend a lot more time out on set and they can do a lot more in post-production. I felt this one did have a lower budget and I think they kind of accounted for that in the way that the cuts were made and the editing and the way they just made everything super raw and feel like it was one take. And I think that was mainly because they didn't have the money to do all this other crazy post-production stuff. So it does feel raw and it does feel like a battle when you're watching it. And I think that adds a lot more character to this movie. I wasn't expecting to find in this movie was the little piece of humanity it kind of added and kind of telling the stories of these soldiers. And it's just that one scene I mentioned earlier in the interview where it's the soldiers on the satellite phone calling home to their parents. And you kind of get a different feeling of what each person is going through and what war is to each of these people. Because some people, you know, their conversations are a little sad and some it's kind of happy and then some it's just kind of totally different and it just these different people and their different stories all kind of come together as one and that little scene just kind of makes you think of like man these kids are so young like they're 25 22 years old and they're at war like this and this is their everyday life like we see it in a movie and thinking of like oh yeah this is how a movie goes down but this is what they actually experience and it's crazy to see so overall, I give it four out of five gun shells. I think it's one of the greatest war movies I've seen in probably the last 10 years because it was able to move me in a way that I wasn't expecting, told me about a story I didn't know about, and then was just really kind of interesting to watch, even hard and stressful to watch it sometimes because you didn't know really what was going to happen next or when this was all going to kind of go awry. And I say it's one of my favorite war movies of the last 10 years because I think this type of war movie where it feels a little more grittier has kind of really had success over the last 10 years. And where I would kind of rank it, I'd probably put it in my top five of the last 10 years. So I would put this movie right there at number five. Um, we also talked about Dunkirk, which I thought was a really good movie. And that one, I also felt like I had no idea about that story. And I really, I think people were one way or the other on that one because it is kind of, there's not a whole lot of dialogue in Dunkirk. It's a lot of just action and being right there in there with them. But I think visually that movie just looked so good and was just so interesting. And I thought it was so well done that I really liked that. I really like Christopher Nolan doing that. 
Zero Dark Thirty was another really good one that I remember seeing in theaters and just being like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next in this one. And that was a story I was more familiar with, but you really didn't know how some of the details went down of the taking down of Osama bin Laden. And that's probably my favorite Jessica Chastain movie, too. And then I really liked 1917 last year, the whole one shot thing was really kind of interesting for me to just kind of grasp and see how they did that whole thing. And then not only that, it's a great story. It follows it perfectly in the action and all of the things in that movie is just really good. So if you haven't seen that one, that's another really great one too. And then my favorite war movie of the last 10 years would have to be American Sniper. I remember going to see that in a packed theater on opening night and being completely moved at the way Bradley Cooper portrayed Chris Kyle, who had such an intense, crazy story. And in that one, it was just the effects that you got to see of how a soldier goes from being in war and being in these super high stressful, intense moments that nobody like you or I would probably experience. But then having to do all that and come back home and, you know, have a family and do everyday things and have to go back to being normal and going back and forth between those two, like the effects that has on your brain and your mentality and your overall just mental state and well-being, it's really intense. And I think that movie just kind of opened a bunch of people's eyes to, whoa, this is insane. So those are my favorite war movies of the last 10 years. But out of all of those, I really recommend going to check out The Outpost now. I think you'll really enjoy it. You can rent it right now wherever you stream movies. All right, and that's the episode for this week. But before I get out of here, I got to give my Instagram shout out to at Rebecca Montañez 92 on Instagram, who tagged me in her Instagram story that she was listening to last week's episode all about the best road trip movies. And she posted a picture of her car dash with the episode art that she was listening to that episode. Like I said, that's my favorite thing to see. So if you guys tag me in a picture like that, for sure, you'll probably get a shout out in the next week's episode. But that's all you got to do. Just tag me in your Instagram story tag me on your main post that you're listening to the episode whether it be a picture of your car dash or a screenshot of you listening to it that's how you get an instagram shout out on this show hope you guys enjoyed the interview this week let me know what you thought about it and then if you end up checking out that movie let me know what you think too i will talk to you guys next monday here have a good week later Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.